Standby. Hello, this is Penn Jillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Librocubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello! Welcome to the LibroCube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical LibroCubicalist, and this is a movie Monday, and the first movie Monday where the temperature's been in the double digits since I can remember. Oh, man, that was hard to do. I felt like my voice had to get higher and higher, and it did to a certain degree. I don't know why I felt that. It is something that my brain did to me. Damn you, brain. But normally don't damn you, because I love you. Brain. Pinky's not bad either. Today, Movie Monday. So, we will talk of movies. Something that comes with the talking of movies is something that happens at the top of every show, which is a spoiler warning. I am doing it right now, and that is warning of spoilers in this episode. I do not try to censor myself for the reason that that is difficult. And I always say to all the little kids listening out there to this, which I presume is 17 kids between the ages of two and a half to um, three and three quarters, that if work is hard, don't do it. Another thing I like to say at the top of every show is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcasts. It helps them grow. It helps them flourish. It helps them become larger than the sum of their parts. So please, consider doing so. All of that said, will take us into our last piece of podcast-related fitness, which is today's sponsor. Oh, I see. Today is a double sponsor, which happens from time to time. What does it mean? It looks like these are two porn movies that are sponsoring this um, episode of Movie Monday, Black and Disical Liberal Hippocrates Podcast. Today's porn movie sponsors are Paranormal Ascractivity and Justice League colon Horror. Once again, today's sponsor is Paranormal Ascractivity and Justice League colon Horror. Alright, so uh, today I have four movies, which kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, if you've been following along, seems to be a bit of a a magic number that I've hit upon, and uh, most movie Mondays are four movie, uh, talking about four movies long. I've had, when I first started doing the podcast, as many I remember as like, freaking eight movies, that's too many, needless to say. I've had less, but uh, four seems to be good. It's uh, two on the way to work and two on the way home, uh, in this case, give you a little behind-the-scenes action, and that is, uh, I'm starting this podcast on my drive home from work, 
which is unusual, so that's kind of the only reason I mention it, which means the uh, transition between drives will be slightly different. So, I don't know why I'm mentioning all this. I should be talking about Movie the Burst. So that's just goddamn well what I'm going to do. Uh, a little film documentary titled Indie Movie, colon. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. Called Indie Game, rather, colon, The Movie. I really fucked that title up. Twelve Ways from Sunday, which I think is a saying. Not sure what it means, so I'm going to give it to you again. It's called Indie Game, The Movie. Okay? In other words, a movie about the indie game making process and such. A documentary. May have heard of this. I think uh, it did well with critics and fans alike. I think uh, probably the best thing you can say about a documentary uh, is what I'm going to say about this, is that even if you don't have any or have never had any desire to know about the indie game making process, you could still watch this movie and find enjoyment. And uh, I think that's the best thing you can say about a documentary. Even if it's on a subject you kind of don't really care about or have never thought about, watching a movie about it and then enjoying it, it's uh, sort of the highest praises you can get. Oh, you know what? Uh, I think this is... Just sort of on that note, uh, yes, if you uh, read the description of this episode, I believe it was this one, yeah, it looks like it is, it's an episode in which uh, I think I'm giving all movies four out of four. Now, I wrote that description before I recorded this episode, so you'll never know, you'll never know, you, I, I, I never know what might happen, maybe things will change, but uh, I'm going to give this movie a four out of five. So, so far, we're following with the theme that I've indicated. Uh, I've written in my notes here, Soaring Heights and Devastating Lows of Indie Game Making. Man, <laughs> must have been uh, really on the ball when I wrote that, because that is a very, very good description of this movie. Huh, I'm surprised myself with the aptness of that description. Yeah, uh, it, th this, is an <laughs> this is an industry that I don't think my brain would allow me to do without going insane. And uh, some of these guys, probably Phil Fish in particular, uh, emphasizing that likelihood? I don't know if likelihood is the right word, but the possibility that uh, creating an independent game will drive you insane. Because you never know, right? You don't know how popular or unpopular it's going to be. You're devoting your own time. Uh, hence the independent, it's sort of, in the in all these cases, it's either one person, maybe two people who are making these games, whereas, say, with a big-budget title, you can have hundreds of people making these games, making video games. So all that work and responsibility that is normally spread among the shoulders of many, it's just down to one person. So uh, it's sort of the hours, the dedication, the incredibly hard work over long periods of time, for potentially no <laughs> no pay and potentially no one buying your game and all that work being for naught. Uh, it, it's just, uh, man, see, seeing what some of these guys went through. It's even when, in the case of some of these guys, they had the sort of payoff at the end of a game that was incredibly popular and they made a shit ton of money. Even knowing that that happened to them, I, I don't think I could have gone through all those months and sometimes years 
of some of the shit these guys put up with. Okay, so uh, I've already mentioned Phil Fish. He is the creator of the video game Fez, which uh, I just saw came to the PlayStation 4. Uh, I think I will play it. It looks like uh, something that would be up my alley. It's got an art style that, that I appreciate. He, I think, out of all of them, was probably the most strong in emphasizing that, uh, that possibility of going insane. He, at one point, said that if this game doesn't do well, and if I sort of, if people don't like it, and I am not successful with it, I will kill myself. Now, he said this with such just blank-faced, factual, this is what will happen if I am not successful, that I, I, I tend to believe that he would have killed himself if this game wasn't successful, which uh, it turns out it was. Uh, there was some talk of Fez 2, which I think he has sort of said, you know what, Fez 2 will never happen, I, I'm not putting myself through this again, that sort of thing. He also emphasized that uh, happened with a couple of these other guys as well, and that is the interaction between the game maker and the public, which in sort of this, which with one of these big games where tons of hundreds of people making the game, there's not usually a sort of one-to-one -one ratio of me telling the game maker what I think of their game and then them hearing that. That's unusual. Whereas here, uh, these guys could see what people think of their game through Twitter or what have you, and could react one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, I think that is unwise of them. I think they need to distance themselves from the game players. Uh, now, you could argue that it gives them the ability to react to what people are saying and make changes in the game, and possibly changes for the better. But, that being said, I think if we're going to consider games at all, especially in the indie game sphere, games at all art, I don't think that interaction is necessarily a healthy one, and can quite often be, well, the opposite. Making for the masses, rather than making for yourselves and for your art, if you will. Uh, we also... It wasn't all Phil Fish, it was uh, a couple other game makers, like Edmund McMillan? Uh, McMillan? I can't read my own writing. And Tommy Refenses? Oh, Refenses? Oh man, my writing is bad. The creators of Super Meat Boy, which is a game I have played and uh, I've talked from time to time on video games days that uh, I don't really like a super, super difficult game, which uh, that is. And I appreciate it for its art and the work they put into it, but it's not a game that I could play for any great length of time without uh, ripping my hair, such as it is, out of the roots. So uh, I don't enjoy great amounts of frustration in my video games. I think it's the same reason, sort of, that I don't like spicy food. I don't like pain while eating or playing video games. That was, uh, I think, the happiest story, seeing, uh, I forget which one, at least, with his wife, when the numbers started rolling in, uh, the, how many games were sold, and all the effort sort of finally paying off. That was very, very heartwarming. I may have, despite my manly manliness, welled up a little bit, seeing all their sort of hard work pay off and how happy they were and stuff like that. I liked it. Uh, another one was Jonathan Blow. Blow? What is his last name? Anyways, creator of Braid. Uh, that's another one I always want to check out, but have yet to do so. He seemed like a bit of an odd duck as well, and his interaction with the 
Republic had some strangenesses to it that I will not go into because I have to move on to movie the second, titled Paranormal Activity, colon, The Marked Ones. Ooh. Paranormal Activity, the first one, is the, one of the, the few movies that make my list of actually scary movies. And movies in the franchise as a whole are, I will say, for me, scarier than most other horror films. Uh, this one included, I did have a nightmare after watching it, which is unusual for me. So uh, the fact that I watched it and then had a nightmare has to mean that there's some scary parts in it, and uh, not just jumping out scary parts either, I would say. Although some of that, some of that. So again, uh, because of that, we're going to give it a four, four out of five. It's done its job, and uh, the four out of five fits well in with the theme of words out of hives for all these movies. Uh, this movie starts with a Mexican family... Uh, living in a sort of a, an apartment building complex area, and living underneath them is a woman who sort of keeps to herself. She's got her uh, windows newspapered up so no one can see in, and uh, the word on the street is that she's a witch. She dies, and that's when shit starts going awry. The movie is basically following the story, the plight, if you will, of teenage, I guess he would be, Mexican boy who sort of gets caught up with the death of this woman and all the sort of mystery surrounding it. Mystery such as his mother, who died while giving birth to him, apparently knew this woman. Eventually, as the title would suggest, some paranormal activity starts happening around him. Aha! Title making sense. Things like, uh strange noises, uh, up to the, it reaches a point where eventually he basically gets superpowers, is how I would look at it. He can, like, uh, I think the simplest example is, he can stand and then fall backwards, and then he won't hit the ground. It will be as if someone sort of stops him from falling and puts him back up at his feet. Just a simple thing such as that. There's, there's a scene, or a couple of scenes, actually, where he's uh, asking a Simon uh, you have to be a certain age, I think, to know what a Simon is. <laughs> Basically, it's got four colored buttons. Each makes a different sound. You have to push the buttons in the order that the Simon just did it. Okay. Man, we had some from friggin' sorry excuses for entertainment back in the day. Anyways, they dusted one of these off, and it wouldn't work for him. However, he could ask it yes and no questions. Kind of like a, uh, a 90s version of a Ouija board. Although, we did have Ouija boards back then as well, so, I don't know, kind of Ouija board S. Uh, he's sort of amped up with this power, even goes to, like, a party of a bunch of gangsters and starts macking on the ladies, even though normally he would probably get his ass kicked doing so, but he's, he's very confident with all this power he has. So uh, that was kind of cool, and something we've, we've never really seen in a Paranormal Activity movie. Eventually, though, he comes across another guy who was in a similar situation and has since sort of degraded to the point where he's kind of almost rotting with the uh, being inhabited by a demon, I guess you would say. El Diablo, perhaps? Yeah, he's possessed, is, is, is the underlying takeaway. Uh, his friends want to save him. He at first wants to save himself, but eventually is, is just so sort of uh, possessed that there's nothing the friends can do to try to snap him out of it. 
Uh, eventually, this, I guess you would call it a coven, mm-hmm. kidnaps him to sort of perform the final rite in the ceremony that will make him, I guess, 100% demon. Uh, that involves the friends and uh, some gangster folk going to this coven at a, like a farmhouse to rescue him. <laughs> well, my, my favorite part of that is, is stupid, but a lot of the times in movies, my favorite part are stupid parts. Uh, one of the guys who came to stop uh, this transformation from happening was a gangster uh, who just sort of came along for the ride and didn't have a name. Uh, so I said to the missus, what do you think the odds are that this gangster who is just appearing for this uh, has no name, because no one ever says his name, what do you think the odds are he's going to survive? <laughs> Obviously, boom, first to die, if I do recall. In fact, uh, just about everyone does die in that attempted saving, with the exception of um, the possessed Mexican dude's best friend. He is trying to escape. Mad dashes left, right, and center throughout this house, uh, escaping from demons and witches and all number of scary things, eventually comes to a door. uh, A door, one of those weird doors, which for some reason I think is kind of 60s, 70s, where the handle's right in the center of the door. Is that something they had back then? Anyways, on the outside of this door are all, like, runes and such. And uh, what happens when he goes through this door was sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, a little bit hinted at earlier uh, in the movie, and that is time travel. Folks, this is not the... This is, this happened in a, a horror movie not too long ago, where they got time travel mixed in with my horror movie, and I friggin' like that idea. I don't know what it is. It's, it's almost sci-fi e in my horror-y, although it's not. It's a magical time travel. The coolest part of this is that the guy travels back in time to the first movie. Yes, he ends up in the home of the people in the first movie, uh, sort of in the very, very last scene of the first movie. So I'm not going to give away what happens, because I only give a spoiler warning for the movies in this movie Monday, but not a spoiler warning for that. So it's very, very cool, and I like the whole timey-wimey stuff. It uh, spices up my horror movies a bit. So uh, please, horror movie makers, keep doing it. It was in that uh, Insidious 2, I think it was, that also had that little uh, time travel thing. Whatever, folks. That's half the episode done. There will be half to come. Once, well, I record it. Yeah, that's that's how that works. So we will say for now... Love you, dearies. Speaking of horror movies, uh, around this time of year, when the houseflies start coming back, sometimes I'll get home, today looks like that day, uh, and there'll be a friggin' shit ton of houseflies on my front door, because it's right in the sun. So uh, it kind of, sort of, kind of looks like I'm walking into the house of the Amityville Horror right now. So, uh, you know, wish me luck. Love you still, dearies. This is Middle of the Podcast. Beautiful friend. This is Middle. My only friend. The middle. Movie the third. Ah, no preamble. Justice League, colon, war. Mmm. Uh, I don't really like this title. Just because you'd think with the title Justice League War, 
it would be a war between the members of the Justice League. That was my assumption going in. However, this is more of how the Justice League got formed type of story, which uh, we've kind of seen before, or at least I have seen at least once or twice, if I do recall. That being said, uh, this does it well. This does it well. Hence, the 4 out of 5 rating. Hmm. Oh, uh, I should say, well, maybe I don't need to say, probably don't need to say, this is an animated feature film. Film. Which, uh, to be 100% Amish with you, some of the best Marvel and DC-related movies come in the animated form. I can easily, easily say that. Batman vs. Superman springs to mind immediately. Uh, this movie starts with Batman. Yeah, probably my favoritest of all of the heroes. I can't really throw in Super, because that usually denotes a power of some sort. Whereas Batman's superpower is being uh, rich and brooding. Brooding richness. He is getting his detective on a little bit because there's some alien thing in Gotham City that's wreaking havoc. Why must aliens always wreak havoc? Why, why can't we have like a little E.T.-style aliens every once in a while? Oh, I guess we did with the movie E.T. Hmm, yeah, there you go. And Mac and me. So let's not forget Mac and me, for the love of God. Never forget. So uh, he's fighting one of these alien folk, who are pretty tough, even for Batman. And uh, along comes Green Lantern. Green Lantern uh, and a couple of the guys in this movie I like because they're sort of uh, incredulous that uh, the Batman actually even exists. So this is sort of, I guess, early on in, uh, in Batman's career, to the degree where Green Lantern's like, y you're real? <laughs> like that. Which I, which I liked. Uh, funny. Look, And uh, actually, these two throughout, Green Lantern and Batman, have some good uh, good back and forth. Good uh, repartee, if you will. Little uh, good cop, bad cop-like. Yeah, a little buddy cop movie with these two. I could easily picture. Uh, Green Lantern has the feel of almost just tagging along with Batman, which I also like. He's, it's almost like he's Batman's sidekick in this. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Now, uh, right off the bat, they're sort of... I don't know if making the assumption is the right word, but thinking the possibility exists that because this is alien stuff, and more specifically uh, alien technology, uh, in the form of this little box thing, that uh, perhaps the one known alien who lives on the planet will know what's uh, what's up, what's going on, dude. Of course, that one alien is Superman, a.k.a. Kal-El from the planet Krypton. I don't know how they knew that he was a alien. Like, I didn't think that was widely known knowledge within the, Batman, uh, within the Superman lore that uh, sort of early in his career... Everyone knew he was an alien. Is that, uh, is that the fact? I don't remember that from my uh, from my Batman Superman animated series. I mean, hmm. uh, that sets it up for something I love, uh, and that is a fight between Batman, Green Lantern versus Superman. Wowee! That's that's kind of more along the lines of what I was expecting from this movie, and uh, we've seen things like that happen before. 
where you get uh, good guys fighting one another. Most recently, uh, in my talk of, what was it, I think it was called the Flash Paradox, or the, the most recent Flash movie called Flashpoint Paradox, something like that. I don't actually remember what it was called, but that one I think I gave a 5 out of 5 to because it was uh, good guys, bad guys in an alternate universe, and you couldn't tell really who was going to be on whose team, so it was all mixed up from what it is now, and that, that sets it up some, for some really cool fights that you wouldn't normally get to see, such as this, so uh, cool, cool idea. Okay, so sort of the main storyline, I guess you would say, is with uh, Cyborg, mm, which is not really uh, a superhero I have seen other than in Teen Titans, so uh, I don't really know much of his origin story, and I kind of think they made up his origin story from this, in this movie, to, to, co compared to what it normally is. That is my assumption. Uh, that being, he was a football player uh, trying to get the love of his father, his father who cares nothing of sports but would rather he be a big nerd. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of a lot of fictional things that we see. And uh, his father, a scientist who is working on one of these boxes, one of these boxes like the one that Batman has. Uh, and then sort of grabs a hold of it, and it burns most of his body. And uh, I guess his father then injects him with some sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't really know where he got it, where that part of the backstory comes in. Anyways, it turns him into a half-human, half-cyborg, half-alien technology dude, thereby allowing him to sort of know what's going on as far as these boxes. These boxes which it turns out are uh, able to open dimensions, to open dimension, open portals to another world, another world in which the bad guy lives, the bad guy of this movie. Because it's a friggin' superhero movie, you gotta have a bad guy. And this is one of my favorites because he is, he's pretty bad, <laughs> as far as bad guys go. And that is, of course, Darkseid. Oh, shit. Yeah, Darkseid, one of the worst just in terms of being bad and not wanting to have him take control of the world and super, super powerful. Definitely, definitely one of the worst. One of the worst. Uh, it's his army of these weird alien gargoyle-looking things. Uh, it's his technology that he's using to bring this army from planet Darkseid to Earth in order to uh, take over and enslave humanity. But these superheroes have a little something to say about that. Uh, the ones I haven't mentioned so far are Shazam, which, uh, if you are unfamiliar with Shazam, he's like a kid uh, who was a big fan of the football player that was the cyborg character. So that was sort of their interaction. Uh, and then he says, Shazam. Uh -huh. I don't know if he could just, like, if he's talking and he just says Shazam, he turns, or if he has to, like, yell it emphatically out. And then he turns into, like, a... Uh, almost, uh, I don't want to say a clone of Superman, but very, very Superman-esque with uh, slightly different abilities, but very, very close and, and somewhat evenly matched with Superman, which is always a, a pretty powerful indicator of power. Uh -huh. uh, there's also Flash, who uh, I'm always a big Flash fan. Uh, it was kind of interesting in this because the Green Lantern kind of took almost the place of what normally Flash would be, which is a little bit of the comic relief, a little bit of the uh, uh, light-hearted dude, I guess you could say. 
where his flash was not serious, but more serious than he normally is. So kind of a bit of a strange role reversal there. And uh, that to even it all out, we also have uh, Wonder Woman. And even it out in terms of, you know, seven however many guys there and one girl. <laughs> her story, again, very, very early in her career, had sort of just landed in the United States, I guess, and uh, was trying to figure shit out. Uh, and again, to some good comedy moments of this Amazonian princess, basically, uh, new to the United States and trying to figure out politics and what the hell that means, which, let's face it, not many people can figure it out not being an Amazonian princess. Uh, like a scene where she finds out how delicious ice cream is. <laughs> all in all, uh, good. And then her and Superman have a little flirting going on between them, which I uh, appreciated as well. Okay, so uh, a movie such as this kind of basically just a backdrop for the most part for two reasons. One is setting up the story of the Justice League, which I kind of don't need at this point. I've seen it so many times. But two, more importantly two, uh, setting it up for a battle between good and evil, which uh, was very, very good in this case because Darkseid is super, super bad. So it basically took all of these guys in order to defeat him. Spoiler, I know. He did get defeated. He didn't enslave all humanity. Oh, man, I'm sorry for giving that away. Jesus. Uh, one interesting thing about Darkseid is, uh, I think one of his most powerful attacks is these sort of lasers out of his eyes that are like homing lasers, so they'll follow you around, and I think Flash is the only one who's fast enough to outrun them, which is pretty impressive. Uh, anyways, so uh, they realize this fact, and then uh, Wonder Woman, with the distraction of everyone else, blinds him. Yeah, literally stabs out Darkseid's eyes. The, the strange thing about that is it didn't really slow him down very much. He couldn't shoot those lasers, but he still put up a pretty good fight. All in all, because I am close enough to work that I have to move on to the last movie, I will say uh, the fight was good. Many good things happened, and they do one thing that quite often happens in a Justice League, and that is the day guaranteed would have been lost if it were not for Batman. I love it when they throw that in. All these sort of superpower guys with their super speeds and strengths and such. And then Batman, <laughs> who saves the day that would otherwise have been lost. And he's just a dude using his smarts. I like it. Okay, moving on to movie the fourth called The Spectacular Now. Hmm. Uh, is this an indie flick? Would you categorize this as an indie flick? I think it's one of those kind of sundancy ones. I don't know if that is accurate, but it has the feel of it a little bit. Very, very much like this. Again, just sticking with the four, but there's probably some uh, five moments in this, as well as in Justice League as well, now that I think about it. But uh, we'll stick with the four overall. This is about a guy, a kid really, a teenager if you will, and some of the sort of trials and tribulations involving just sort of growing up. Yeah, basically. He's a, he's a bit of a partier, not really taking school very seriously. He loves everyone, and I think that's one of the his sort of underlying characteristics, is that he just likes everybody. Everybody at high school he likes, everyone he works with, maybe doesn't get along with his mom too much, likes to party, likes to have fun, just is going through life, not really taking much seriously. Huh, wait a second. 
This guy is me. Yeah, this this was me in high school. Oh my god, I just I just realized that. Well, maybe that's why I liked his character so much. Because I saw myself in it. Uh, the movie starts with him breaking up with his girlfriend, him uh, potentially failing geometry and therefore failing high school and having to, I guess, repeat. And just sort of things kind of falling apart for him. Which will happen, yeah. This is where he sort of comes across, almost runs into the sort of quintessential girl next door. Uh, someone who is in the same grade, doesn't really know, didn't even really remember her name, had never really put much thought about her into his brain, huh? And then he ends up kind of hanging out with her a little bit, and then enjoying that time, and then hanging out with her a little bit more and a little bit more, and he kind of comes to the realization that he loves this girl. Yeah. It's got the uh, sort of underlying romantic storyline to this, which quite often I do not so much care for, but I, I actually liked it in this very, very much. I think it was because the girl was friggin' adorables, and maybe that combined with this guy reminding me of me, I could sort of put myself in his place much, much more readily. Yeah, maybe that's it. Wow, I'm getting all psychological on you here. Okay, so then we move a little ways down the road, and uh, he is kind of, I don't want to say estranged from his father, but hasn't seen him in like a decade or something like that. And, Jesus, further, furtherness, I haven't talked to my dad in probably going on five years now. Man, this is, this is getting spooky. His dad turns out to be a drunk who basically has no care for anyone but himself. This this kid, this teen, has always been sort of defending his father, and then sort of comes to the realization that his father is an asshole. So uh, that sort of hits him pretty hard. He sees himself sort of turning into his father, and doesn't want to let that happen. So part of his thought process there is that, I love this girl, and because I'm like my father, if we end up together, I'll end up treating her like shit, and I love her too much to let that happen. So they sort of break up. Not break up, per se, other than she leaves to go to college. He was supposed to go with, and just doesn't show up. So that was sad. There's also a scene in this, a uh, couple of scenes, with his boss. He works at, like, a suit rental place, or suit selling place, I guess. Sure. Uh, his boss, played by Bob Odenkirk, which uh, I went into this movie not knowing that there would be anyone I would recognize. I thought it was just kind of one of those Sundance indie kind of flicks, so it was nice to see him in that. Uh, and they have a very sort of close relationship as well, which I'm, I don't know if I'm closer to my boss than I am to my dad, but that was the feeling in this movie, and maybe it's the feeling I have in actual real life as well. So very, very strange, very strange. Eventually, sort of breaks down. There's a lot of uh, gets super, super drunk drives, which is never smart. Quite a bit of drinking and driving in this movie, actually. In fact, there's even one scene sort of uh, earlier on than that, that uh, he's driving with his girlfriend. It's just after they'd left their uh, his father's place, and you can tell he's having those thoughts of, maybe it's best if I'm not in her life, and starts to kind of push her away. Uh, eventually pulls over, and he'd been drinking at the time, and, and just says, get out, get out, get out. He's trying to save her by being a dick, I think is his sort of thought process there. She gets out, and they're arguing, and then she gets hit by a car. My, I don't think my jaw has dropped 
in a movie that much in a freaking very long time. I was very surprised that happened. Did not see it coming at all. Neither did she. <laughs> Anyways, uh, eventually we reach the end and he's kind of at his lowest point, which, hell, I've been there as well. He uh, talks to his mom, who sort of helps kind of set him on the right path a little bit. And the movie ends with him going to this college, meeting up with this girl after quite a... And uh, I think the last scene is just sort of them standing, looking at one another. Again, it was sort of a little surprise at the end, because I thought potentially she would say, get out of here, uh, I don't want to ever see you again. But the movie kind of ends with her smiling and like saying, hello, that, that sort of idea. So a happy ending. And I was glad it was, because I wanted to see these two work things out. Happy endings sometimes, even though sometimes I like sad ones. Alright folks, so uh, that was the 4 out of 5 for every movie rating, Movie Monday. Episode of the Lackadaisical Liberal Cubriculous Podcast is what that was. That will of course leave one final thing to say, which is, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper